You're listening to Sermon Cast Media from Antioch Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. For more of our sermons, resources, or to support this ministry financially, see our website at antiochwichita.org. We've been hashing out and learning a lot about what it is to be church and what it is to not be church. And um, we've been on this journey 16, almost 17 years, working on our 17th year, which is mind-boggling. Amen. Um, we've had to unlearn and relearn a lot of things about what it is to be church, and, and we haven't arrived yet. Amen. Uh, a lot of churches have fallen by the wayside. They say something like 4,700 churches a year or more close in the United States alone. If you think about those kind of statistics, there's no amount of church planting that's going on that's replacing that. Uh, it's becoming a lesser and lesser number all the time. And so uh, there's a lot of pressure in the West to be a certain kind of church certain kind of people, you know, what looks successful and what doesn't look successful. And it's hard in leadership or just as someone in the church um, not to compare yourselves to this, that, and the other, and so-and-so. They've got such a dynamic speaker, and they got such an amazing facility, and they got, I mean, that's what they say about us. That's what I'm saying. That's what they're saying about us. So, yeah, that's what I, I just want to, I don't want to shame anybody else. So, um <laughs> Uh, but they, you know, there's just all this pressure, and we've been trying to honestly shed that mindset um, for the last few years. Because not not that there's anything wrong with big churches. I mean, we would love to grow big if we were discipling everybody. Amen. And so, um, not not that there's anything wrong with that. And sometimes there is something wrong with it, but not always. Um, uh, we belong to a movement of some large churches that are some of the most disciple-making, people-sending uh, places on earth. And so I'm proud of that. But we've just really been trying to shed the comparative mindset and what's success. And um, I have actually been criticized a little bit over the last couple of years of losing my swag as a dynamic leader. And what, what I mean by that is my, you know, I'm not coming out with the big vision and leading like I used to, and I'm not doing speaking engagements like I used to, and not that I ever had that many. I'm acting like people are knocking down my door. I once had a dream that John Piper called me and asked me if I'd come speak, and I said, no, I can't. I have to, I have to humble myself, and uh, I don't want to make this about me, John. You should know that. And, but, uh, yeah, I thought that was funny. Thanks. Um, but... Um, I don't care anymore. I really don't care anymore about being dynamic. I want to be a good leader, but I want to be a leader in the way Jesus is, right? I want to be a shepherd, first and foremost. I want to be the good shepherd. I want to be humble. I want to be lowly. Those are my new hash marks of what success is. And us as a church should be the same exact thing. We want to be like Jesus. We want to love people well. We want to would look at the size of this room and go, oh, something's wrong with this church. They're only da 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 And I would say, no, I, I think we're one of the healthiest places I know, especially now after last year as God has done some pruning and some stuff in us. And I'm thankful for that. And I think that in this time of need in church in the world, I think that, I think, um, I wrote this thing down, uncommon times call for an uncommon church. Amen? And we don't want anything new. We're not trying to exist and do something new and sexy in churchdom so we can end up in a magazine. I don't even know what magazine we'd end up in. <laughs> Anybody? I don't know. Time. Time. Yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, but I feel like God is calling us to, we've used this term before, a new ancient thing. And so what I mean by that is we just want to be revolutionary in the way of being biblical. Is it possible for us to be simple, 
to do simple church, to not have a, uh, you know, a thermometer up here gauging our success and all those kind of things. Is it possible just to love people, disciple one another, share Jesus with people, pray the way we should pray, love his word the way we should love his word, and see God move? Is it possible? Is it possible in the West that that can happen and that would be success and we'd see people baptized and we'd see house churches grow and we'd see lives changed all over the place? And I say, I say I've, I've banked my whole life on it. We've put all of our stock in our house churches. We put all of our stock in you and not me. Amen? I know I'm, I'm a commodity around here. I'm good to have, but I'm not always going to be sitting here. And the point is, is that the church is in you, it's we, it's us, we go, we do, and that's what changes the nations, amen? And this little church, this little little local church has a global impact already, and we're going to have more of that as time goes on, amen? And we will be a part of the change of this city. Um, part of this is, there's this verse, one of my favorite verses in Hebrews chapter 12, 28 through 29, it says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Everybody hear that? For receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We are a part of an unshakable kingdom. And you're like, well, I don't feel like I'm a part of an unshakable kingdom. <laughs> I don't care if you're Jesus as you are. You are a part of an unshakable kingdom. And we as the church, and when Jesus told Peter the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against the church, I tend to think that we're in that lineage. Amen? Like that's who we are. That's who we want to be. We want to be, um, and we're okay being smaller guerrilla warfare. That's just how we gangster roll. Amen? So look at your neighbor and say, that's how we roll. Amen. Um, so the church is that vehicle, that anchor for us to live out our lives and live out our faith. And so here's what the word says about the church. It just wants you to catch some of these. Number one, Ephesians 122, um, uh, it says the church is his body and he is the head. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the, uh, over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so first and foremost, he is our head. We are his body. We are what moves upon the earth. We are critically important to this whole program here that's going on that God has working. Here's another one that says, Ephesians says, the, what's the manifest? The church is the manifest wisdom of God. It's the manifested, the come alive word of God. Ephesians 3.10 says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Through the church, God's wisdom is made known to the authorities. Hear what I'm saying? That's how important the church is. Uh, Matthew 16, 18, and I've jumped ahead of myself, but it's a place that hell can't destroy. Uh, when Jesus tells Peter, and I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Does that resonate with anybody? I just want to get up and kick something if I wasn't in my weekly state, although I might look like a little pansy the way I kick it right now. Ah! Right? Everybody remember the days when I used to throw stuff around? Yeah. Oh, man, those were good days, wasn't it? Didn't I throw something at you one time? Maybe not. It was in your vicinity. Yeah, I think oh, I threw, I threw Dustin one time and safely into pillows. Um, <clears throat> but uh, literally, the church, the hell can't destroy the church. And you go, well, you said 4,600 churches are dying every year. Uh, I said 4,600 churches are dying every year, but your definition of what that is means something different. Um, churches, uh, what does that mean? 
And sometimes things have to die for things to come to life, and I realize that, and there are cycles, and there are circles of things. But I just want to read that verse and be like, ow! You're welcome. I know some of you were starting to fall off a little bit. Um, here's something else it says in Romans 12. It says, it's a place that I belong. It's a place where I am needed, and it needs me. For as one body, we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. Do we all have the same function? No. Are we many members? Yes. yes. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another. We need each other. Brian, I need you. You need me. That's just how it goes. Amen? Right? I need you. You need me. We need each other. That's the whole point of this thing. I couldn't imagine doing life. And I, I, there are phases and phrases and all these things and cycles that happen in life. I get it. But we need one another. I, I couldn't imagine doing this life without you. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I couldn't imagine doing this without you. I couldn't, I, I couldn't fathom on the days when I'm most broken. I know that if I've got a physical condition, something going on, there's going to be 10 people. Sometimes, annoyingly, they're going to stop me and pray for me. Amen? Well, I'm just trying to go to the bathroom. You know what I mean? But that's a good, that's a good thing. Going to the bathroom is a good thing, too, as well. Um, but anyway, what, what an important piece of, of us belonging to together. Here's another one. Uh, the Bible tells us not to neglect meeting together as the church because it's so critically important. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more you see day, the day drawing near. What does it say? Yeah, get it together. Amen. Who said that? Oh, me together. I thought you said get it together. Yeah. Yeah. Come on up here. Just, just hammer down, girl. All right. Another one, Acts 20, 28 says, when I get, uh, it's where I come to get oversight. Guess what? You need oversight in your life. You need somebody. You need somebody that is uh, spiritually uh, uh, above you, that helps you and walks with you and even disciplines you sometimes. We live in a society where nobody can get disciplined. Nobody could be told nothing. And I think, I think it's satanic. I, I really think it's satanic. If nobody can tell you nothing, if nobody can show you something, and I'm not saying like a big jerk, hey, you're an idiot, don't do that. I'm talking about someone in love who can admonish you and show things in your life and say, hey, that is not helpful to the kingdom of God, and nor is it who your character is really is in Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, it's a big deal. Pay careful attention to yourselves. This is an Acts. Uh, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, talking about elders, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Listen, the Holy Spirit has made overseers in this church um, to care for you, to give you oversight, to straighten you out, <laughs> to encourage you, right, when you need to be encouraged. Uh, I, don't, I don't trust a church that's never had to do church discipline before. That's scary. It's scary. And we don't want to do that because we don't want to lose people or we don't want to. The thing is, is that hell's in the balance. Like literally, when we have hard words for somebody, they're in love because somebody is dancing with the devil and not walking with the Lord. And we want them to repent, to be closer to the Lord. That's just scripture. That's just exactly what it is to repent, is to someone to call you out on your stuff and, and do it. Now, can you do it in the wrong way? You can become the holy righteousness hammer of the Lord. Right? I don't know what that was. I don't know what that was. <laughs> I'm dinging a bell or something like that. I don't remember. But, um, but that, was, um, that was me nailing the hammer of righteousness. If you've never heard it before, maybe you should have. Okay. 
Um, it's also uh, a place uh, in, the, in the scriptures where it talks about in Ephesians 4. It's where we get trained up for the work that we're supposed to do, that God has made you for. By the way, God has created every single one of you for a purpose. Yeah. You have a plan and a purpose in the church. Well, you don't know. I'm, I, that, that argument gets so old after a while. And I'm talking about the one I give. I mean, I've been doing it this week. My wife said to rebuke me like 12 times because I was having a, I was having a miserable week down on myself, talking like a schmuck and, and stuff. And, uh, but I have a purpose. I have a job. I have something that I've been ordained and anointed for in this church, and I don't care who you are, you have a piece and a part to play in what happens in this church. Matter of fact, scriptures, if Scripture's clear, then without you, without you engaging in your role, we're actually deficient. We're missing something. We're missing what you bring to the table. And we don't want to treat you like a commodity. We want you to do this thing. We are a body. We all need each other. I can function without my leg, but it sucks right? <laughs> we could still make it by without all your fingers, but it makes it hard picking your nose or playing instruments or whatever it is, whatever the biblical analogies are. Oh, there it is. Jen gave me that. All right, sorry. But Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints and the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. That's you. And last but not least, it's what you were baptized into. I don't know if people understand the, 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 the sense and the power of what baptism is. Baptism is not only getting in the water and have my sins washed away. It's deeper imagery than that. It's death to self, just like Christ, and resurrection with him. And it's also, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, through though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the spirit we were all baptized baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were made to drink of one spirit. You were baptized into this. This is why hopping and shopping and doing all the stuff, it doesn't make any sense. You are literally baptized into the body of Christ where you're supposed to connect at a local level. There has to be people in your tribe and a tribe has to be a part of you. Amen? amen. I'll say amen. Our, our, our grand supreme Swami leader, Jimmy Seibert, uh, said the church is our anchor, and when we are anchored deep, we are able to extend wide in reach uh, those that God has called us to. Amen. So today, uh, there has to be an awakening uh, between going to church and being the church. I believe in a lot of ways, what's good for us, we are uh, we are being the church in many ways. And so, um, once every year or two, I preach through this. <clears throat> these five circles. Uh, if you've heard it before, you can roll your eyes, take a nap, go blog or something like that. But I promise you, there's always something new and exciting to try to throw in there for you. And there's also enough of you that are new. And some of us, all of us need a reminder of simple rhythms that we need to be doing to be able to be an effective man and woman of God and to be an effective church body. Amen. And so we're going to talk about the five circles of a healthy church in their five areas. This is across our movement, by the way. This is preached in every single Antioch church across the face of the earth. Um, and um, not all the same, obviously. Not, I mean, they all come after my version. They really want to put it out there uh, in the bigger churches. Just kidding. Jonathan's giving me the, mm -mm. that doesn't work. <laughs> But we're going to talk about these five circles. And the five circles are, as if you look up there, uh, go back to the main graphic real quick. Personal devotion life, life on life discipleship, house to house, 
church gathered, and your witness in the world. So those five simple things, you can write those down. You can put them in a mental note. We're going to walk through all five of those together. So number one, most importantly, the rhythms of a healthy church is number one is your personal devotion life. It's me and Jesus. Let me tell you, me and Jesus. If my time with Jesus and your time isn't with Jesus, if we don't have the most important meeting of the day, which... All of us can, can testify to how good or badly we do this. I know in my life that when things are wrong, it is always, always, always accumulate. And I don't mean going through a hard time. I mean, when I feel distant, when I feel not connected, when I feel not anointed or appointed, all the things, it's always circles around the fact that I have not pressed into the Savior. Always. It's always that way. And then I end up in this, um, and then you end up in this vicious circle of, oh, I suck. And Jesus is literally saying, hey, just come home. Just come here. Like, I want to be close to you. I'm not, I'm not condemning you. I'm, I'm inviting you into something deeper, right? I'm inviting you in to get close with me. And so we can't get closeness with Jesus from someone else. It's on us to meet with him daily. It's, it's great to have mentors, and we're going to talk about having people that disciple you. And we're nothing but you and you alone have an obligation and a duty and a longing in your heart, whether you know it or not, to draw near to Jesus. Well, I'm not one of those people that really prays and talks to Jesus a lot, and I listen to podcasts. Well, podcasts are great. Guess what? Those are only pointing to the one that you need to be in the face of. Amen? Like, there is real, I am blown away by the unfathomable opportunity that we get with Jesus every day. The God of heaven wants to meet with me. The God of heaven wants to hear my words. The God of heaven wants to speak to me. He wants to, wants to say things to me. And I'm dumbfounded by the amount. The Father heart of God blows me away. The Father heart of God, if you guys haven't taken our discipleship school and gone through some of our, um, uh, which will make a comeback someday. Hallelujah. Kimmy, I still owe you a semester. Amen. Um, it's twice as much this time. <laughs> Uh, the Father Heart of God. Uh, but the Father Heart of God is a teaching that we have in there. I am blown away every time I'm just weeping by the end of it because the Father Heart of God, to say how much He loves you and how He longs to be close to you. This is why religion from afar is such a farce. It, and we always say, well, it's about an intimate relationship and not a religion. Yeah, I know that, but, but put, put yourself to the test. Does that line up in your life? relationship? Is it the closeness of Jesus that stirs your heart? Is it the words of Jesus that lead your heart? Is it the, the heart of Jesus that comforts your soul? And what is it? And so as I've walked through over the years, I've found like in my deepest, darkest places, I am not holding on to the hand of Jesus and I need to hold on to the hand of Jesus again. Amen. We all win when we meet with Jesus on a daily basis. Acts 4.13 says, now when they saw, uh, this is one of my favorite, favorite verses. I know I'm saying that. I like all of them. But is, <laughs> this morning, this morning, I'm getting some of these that are really my favorites. But this one, it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Gosh, I want to be that guy. Man, I want to be that guy. I want you to be those men and women where someone walks past you and they know there's just something different about the way that that man and that woman reacts to things and reacts to life and reacts to people. Amen? Amen. This is what we desperately need. That's what I want to be known for. Brian, I want to be known as a man who's been close to Jesus.
Amen? Revelation 2, 1 through 5, and it's vital to go after this every day. And by the way, if you're not doing a good job at being connected to Jesus, here, I'm going to do a little litmus test for you. Take a breath. Okay, most of you are still alive. You're still living. There's still time. There's opportunity, right? <laughs> what if you said, well, I ran a rag scallion life for 20 years, and I only got really close to Jesus the last couple of years of my life. Praise God. Amen? Like, woohoo! You had two years with Jesus in his closeness. Amen? I said rag scallion. Does anybody know what rag scallion means? <laughs> Isn't it a pirate term? Huh? I'm 80 rag scallions. Be walking the plank. After ye tithe. <clears throat> Sorry. Revelation 2, 1 through 5. This is another one of those. This isn't my favorite verse because it's one of my favorite verses, but it's it's not a favorite verse because it makes you feel yummy. Um, <clears throat> to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks through the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how can you not and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be um, found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. If you stop there. That's great. Isn't it good? It's like, woo, they're nailing it. They're not having anything to do with, e with, with idols and evil. And, and, um, and then, but then Jesus continues to go on in this revelation to the Apostle John. He says, but I have this against you, mm -mm. that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. It is possible, and I would almost say normal, for all believers, for the most part, at some point of their lives, to, here's Jesus, he's the focus, and then all of a sudden, other things have come in and have become a focus, still thinking it's in the name of Jesus. And they might be things in the name of Jesus. It might be ministry. It might be your job. It might be your family. It might be your relationships. It could be just your kids and how you put them. And you're doing it in the name of Jesus, but you're doing it not from the place of Jesus anymore. You have walked away from your first love. It is possible to do things for him and things not from him that begin to take. And Jesus is singing this isn't, well, hey, you bunch of jerks, stop it. It was, hey, come back. to Don't forsake your first love. Come back, your first love. If your first love, my first love cannot be my wife. Can't. My first love cannot be my children. As bad as it seems in today's world, if I, there are people in my family that heard that, they would just flip out. Oh, you can't, I dare you. You're, you're just a religious fanatic and all these kind of things, which I am. Um, but Jesus has to be my first and foremost love because he's the author of it. He's the one who created it. In 1 John 14, he says he is love. Like he literally is, he is love. And so Jen is, is my first love on earth. But I can't love Jen without my first love being Christ. I can't do it in a way that honors him and honors her. If it's about me and my love, then it's always going to be conditional. It's always going to be jerky at times. It's always going to fly off the handle sometimes like a fool. It has to be rooted in Jesus first and foremost. Amen? So the question is, 
is there something going on in my life? Is there some kind of worship? It could be, man, it could be health. It could be anything. Is there anything that has taken the place of my first love? And if it is, what is it? And how do I, how do I, how do I put things back? The Christian life isn't never looking and going, uh-oh, I screwed up, I need to change. That's the existence of your Christian life, right? Walking and going, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm off kilter again. I need to repent and get back daily repentance, daily looking at your life. By the way, none of this happens accidentally. All this happens on purpose, right? Living unintentionally will get you nowhere in the kingdom of God. Living unintentionally, just like, oh, I'm a Christian, you're not going to be on point. You're not going to be connected. You're not going to be filled. You're not going to have joy. Amen? You have to do it on purpose every day and all day. Amen? I'll say amen too. And it can happen to us all. Has this ever happened to anybody? Anybody forsaken their first love? Anybody this week? That's good. <laughs> Some of you are honest. Praise God. Some of you are just afraid to raise your hand. John 15, 5 says this, this sweet little verse. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, I wrote this quote a while ago, but abiding isn't a chore for us. It's where we find life. Amen. Right? Like remaining close to Jesus isn't a chore. Oh, gosh, I've got to read my Bible again. I've got to get in my prayer time before I go to bed. i got to get, or whatever, or my, my first prayer time this month. You know what I mean? Whatever, whatever it is and wherever you're at, it's, it's, it's not that. Abiding for us is life. Life is where we go to replug, recharge, and be in him and his closeness. Amen? Every day. How do you do that? Do this. You just have to do it intentionally. In worship, there are people in this room that if you don't know how to spend time with Jesus daily, they will help show you. And by the way, it can be just a simple start with the 15-minute thing like, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm just going to pray. And, and I would just encourage you to add listening to your prayer and not you talking all, all the time. Amen? Like listening for the word of the Lord like we are those caring charismatics, right? We believe God still speaks, crazy people, right? And so um, um, the, pray and then and just worship, like put on a worship song. And, and I know some of you are like, well, I'm not a worshiper. There isn't a Christian alive that's not a worshiper. You hear what I'm saying? There isn't a Christian alive. And so you don't have to do backflips and be like Rick, Jesus! You don't have to do that, although I think that's awesome. Uh, by the way, that's some of my, first time I heard him do that, I started crying in the corner of discipleship school. Um, it was, it was, <laughs> that was pretty cool. Uh, we do love you, Rick. Woo! You scare some new people sometimes, but that's okay. They get rid of it. <laughs> that's a good thing to be scared of. Guy who loves Jesus so much, amen? And just spend time just sitting in the presence. This is something I never learned growing up. And I didn't grow up in the church, but even as I did grow up as a believer, no one ever told me just to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn how to listen. Yes. No one. Oh. Another quote by W.R. Dans. Who we become in the kingdom will grow out of who we first and foremost spend our time with. That's just true. And God, he wants to be close to you. Man, he wants to breathe on you. He wants to download on you. And you have the opportunity to be close to the God of heaven. We all do. Number two, everybody say number two. Life on life, desirable ship. 
Say life on life discipleship. Sometimes I do that, not even with purpose. I just like hearing you say stuff. Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So here we are. And this is, here's the problem with these five things is people are really good at compartmentalizing one of them or two of them. And so really good. At, oh, yeah, I've got the Jesus in me down. And then when it comes to like the church and the bigger body and discipleship and accountability, you don't want nothing to do with that. Well, guess what? It's just as biblical as spending time with Jesus. It's just as biblical as spending time with two or three other people, one or two other people to help you sharpen iron sharpens iron to help you grow to become more like Jesus. Amen. We're talking about discipleship, two or three gathered. Something happens when I'm alone with Jesus, but that's not all. Something happens when two or three are gathered in Jesus' name as well. Amen? What is discipleship? What is a little, this, this little functional uh, um, definition. Discipleship is doing life with someone else who helps us become more like Jesus. Okay? You need an example in your life, and this is why it's so so rad, because people are like, oh, I don't know how to do that. Well, that's the church's fault. We're supposed to show each other how to do that, right? And the question is, here's what I found over the years, is very few people want it. Very few people want to be discipled, because once you start going, boing, 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 taking this thing out and say, hey, man, that thing in your heart, man, you really got to get rid of that thing. People are like, ah, this is a cult. I'm going to go somewhere else where they don't get in my business. You know how many times we've been called a cult? Oh my gosh, huh? Yeah, oddly, I mean, we sacrifice the birds twice a year and stuff like that, but I mean, we do that. Anyway, I'm going to stop right there before I go too far. <laughs> um, I, I need, and this has been a problem for me, is Jen and I grew up without discipleship in the kingdom and never had anybody to pour life into us, and we have been struggling and searching for it for 20 years, Right? And so when we started this church, we were like, hey, um, how do we do this? And we're literally just reading our Bible and going to, going to Waco and learning stuff and grabbing papers off walls that tell you how to disciple people and just spending time with people get annoyed because like even in our elder training, like our elder training, you figure it would be 20 books and all these kind of things. You know what it is? I drag your butt everywhere I go. And if something's going on, I take you with me and we go pray for people and we deal with stuff. I mean, that sounds simply annoying, and there are better things we could do structurally and send the books and the essay questions and all these kind of things. But in the end, it's, it's literally the what's coming off of me needs to drip onto you. What's coming off of Jesus needs to drip onto me. This is how it goes. I desperately need one or two people in my life that know everything about me a safe place where I can go and I can confide. And some of you will say, well, uh, what if I don't want to confide into somebody because I don't want anybody knowing my stuff? You are exactly the person discipleship is set up for because the longer it's contained in you, the longer it will become a cancer in you and the longer it will kill you spiritually. It will kill you spiritually. You need a man or a woman in your life of the same sex right? It gets weird when you cross-pollinate those sometimes, right? Uh, I'm not even going to go into that. I'll get in trouble. Okay. Um, but you need accountability. You need someone who's going to be able to say, hey, man, that, gosh, you're doing so good at this. This thing over here, man, I don't know if that honors Jesus. If somebody doesn't have 100% access to you, Jesus doesn't have 100% access to you. Hear me? And so people are like, well, man's fallible. He is fallible. That's why there's grace. 
That's why you don't find 20 people to be accountable to. You find a couple people, one or two people that you could trust and pour your life out and give them and literally have this conversation. I give you complete access to my life. And whatever you see in me, I want you to tell me. Even if I don't respond well the first time, I need you to be there and tell me. It's been something desperately we look for. Place where I can go get everything out. Amen? Amen. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Why do we confess our sin to one another? We're not the ones that forgive each other. It brings it into the light. It's exactly right. It brings us into the light. It keeps us accountable. Um, sometimes our sins affect other people. We need to bring forgiveness. Amen. We've all been there, unfortunately. But we need two or three people in our lives that really know you. God has given us spiritual. We have this language here, spiritual mothers and fathers. Spiritual mothers and fathers are critically important to your existence. They are critically important to my existence. It sucks trying to do this as an orphan sucks. And God has given us and created this mindset. And honestly, discipleship should be the number one besides honoring Jesus, line one, making disciples and being disciples is the next thing. Amen? Amen. Along with prayer, you know all the things. Some, some of you, I could see some of you getting ready to write me an email. Amen. Um, who should this not be? <laughs> I just put this on here. It just makes me giggle. Uh, if you find somebody that every time that you go and confess something, they're like, yeah, don't worry about it, bro. We all screw up, right? You get, uh, don't let a nominal believer be your accountability partner. Amen? Oh, it's all right, dude. Man, I get trashed every once in a while. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, whatever. Uh, what I'm saying is it's okay to have grace for each other when you mess up. That's not what I'm saying. What it is, is you need somebody that's walked a step further that's like, no, that's not good. That doesn't honor Jesus. Stop it. Right? Stop it. Everybody say stop it. And it definitely shouldn't be non-believer. <laughs> I don't know how many times people are like, oh, I got my friend so-and-so. They told me it was all right. By what biblical standard? Well, they watch Oprah. Oh, that's good. Oprah's not on anymore, I know. Too bad. Who are your two or three that you can be vulnerable with? Like literally right now as you're sitting here, who can I be vulnerable with? And if the answer is, I don't, I don't think I have anybody. Or two answers, I don't want anybody. That's a problem. Number two is, I don't know if I have those people. Number one, if you don't want them, I pray that you would pray for God to give you a new heart because you desperately need it. He created you to walk in fellowship with other brothers and sisters. He created mothers and fathers in the faith. It doesn't have to be an old person, just people that are walking in a different, a different sense of, of life, different part of their faith and their connection that they desperately want to reach out. And uh, uh, Matter of fact, in the Antioch movement, Jimmy Seibert will tell you, our, our lead guy will tell you, I won't disciple you unless you're discipling somebody else. I mean, just that mindset of things that works um, about who can breathe into your life and who are you breathing life into. Second Timothy 2.2 says this, uh, do, uh, do, and, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you know how the church got to exist right now? Discipleship. 
one person teaching another person how to follow Jesus, teaching another group of people how to follow Jesus over and over and over and over again. It's, it, church planting actually takes care of itself when we make disciples, right? It just kind of happens that way, amen? Who are you walking with? Now, the other part of the question is, is there anybody in your life that you're breathing life into? And some of you think, well, I've got 10 years to go. You're, you're absolutely wrong. Uh, you could, the moment you start walking with Jesus, I believe you could still turn around and breathe life into other people for Jesus. Amen? Well, I'm not there. I don't know everything. You're, I'm going to teach you the greatest phrase in all of discipleship and church leadership I've ever known. I don't know. But we can find out. Yeah. Amen? that's a leadership. I'm going to write that book. I don't know. <laughs> Greatest leadership standards of 2024 and the 12 principles of the seven begotten's. Um, I don't know, but you know what? You can, you don't have to be a person that has all the answers. You're not God, but you can be someone who learns to become studious and find the answers of God, right? Or to go ask somebody else that can help you like, Hey, so-and-so is having a problem with this. I wanted to say God helps those who help themselves. I don't know if that's right. That's not right. That doesn't, God doesn't say that. And have somebody help you and line it out and go to scriptures and, and, and figure it out together. But you could still help somebody move on. Amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Number three. Everybody say number three. three. We're moving through here. I know you've got big Super Bowl plans to get to. House to house. Everybody say house to house. This is another biblical picture of the part of the body of Christ that everybody should be involved in. Um, Acts 2, 42 through 47, we see the church birthed for the first time. And, and we've read through this scripture so many times, but I love reading through it every time. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, the breaking bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is a pretty cool snapshot of really what the church is to be in smaller pieces. So apostles teaching, boom, fellowship, breaking bread, what does that mean? Just taking baguettes and smacking them over each other. No, it doesn't mean breaking bread. It means, it means taking a meal together and doing communion together. Prayer. The Lord was moving in inspiring ways. They took care of each other's needs. Like this is like, like I've done big church before when I was a pastor at another church where people will say, hey, I know uh, sister so-and-so is really broke right now. Uh, the church should probably come and help her get some food and stuff like that. And we'd be like, oh, okay. And so we'd go and we'd try to get food and get all the stuff done. In the end, it is, that is not the church. That is not the function of the church. I, I don't mind having a food pantry, but you know what's a lot, a lot more like Jesus? It's like when you know of a need, you go meet it, yeah. Right? That happens in smaller communities. That's why when people come with a need, I always say, have you gone to your house church first? And that's not because I'm just trying to get out of doing extra work. Sometimes it is, but not all the time. But house church is where you go to. And how many of us in this room, without raising your hands, how many of us have been helped, impacted, touched, moved, 
literally, right, sometimes, I mean, by the people in your house church. You need to be a part of a smaller house church setting, house-to-house gatherings where they share meals, pray with one another, uh, share resources, live missionally. Something happens when I'm alone with Jesus. Something happens when I gather with two or three, but something else happens when I walk out life with a smaller, intimate family. That's why Sunday morning is not the existence of the church. It's not. Sunday morning is not the existence of the church. Imagine Jesus feeling, Jesus, did you know that Sunday mornings is the existence of the church from 10 to 11 or whenever dude shuts up till noon, whatever. Um, uh, that's the existence of the church. And, the, and Jesus would say, no, you are the church. And the church is seven days a week. Yeah. And the church is everywhere and anywhere you go. Yeah. Amen. And so you grow deeper in smaller groups. You get shepherded in deeper ways. We have house church pastors that are there specifically uh, to, to build you up and to encourage you to have deep friendships. If you walk in here on a Sunday morning and your existence is only Sunday morning, of course you could say, well, those, this is what I, I love this. People are clicky and people don't talk to me on Sunday. I'm like, yeah, well, Sunday is a, an hour and a half gap in the existence of the church. Why don't you come and feel something different and actually be loved on by a smaller group of people? That's what God has created you for. He's created you for tribe. This is our, this, we're, we're part of the big T tribe. This is our medium-sized T tribe on Sunday mornings. But your tribe where you get touch and when you get love and you get accountability comes through our house churches. And that's why we ask people, and by the way, I don't get money. Everybody that goes to house church, I'm not keeping a mark, and I get $1.50 for every person that walks in there. I have no spiritual or financial monetary gain by you going to house church. I legitimately, as your shepherd, pastor, and friend, want you to grow, to be closer to a smaller group of people who will love you and walk out life with you and see you grow. That's the heart of hearts. That's our elders' hearts. That's our leadership team's hearts, is that you would grow to be more like Jesus and we would be connected. I know it's, uh, listen, we don't have a lot of, I, I hear this all the time, like, I wish we had more young adults and I wish we had more young couples and I wish, you, so do I. <laughs> I, w I wish we did. I wish we had a bunch more people that when you came in on Sunday, you automatically felt like you had tribe and you had people to do life with and walk out with you. But we need pioneers. We need people to help come us and start those things. And those things belong in house church. And you might not be with a bunch of, oh, they're 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings, 50-somethings, whatever something you are. But you're with a group of people, multi-aged, that love you and want to do life with you and work. I, I would love to have house churches full of young adults and, 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 and booming. And, and I believe we're going to get there in Jesus' name. Amen? But if you can't, this is, this is the shopping mentality. It's like, well, I need somebody to meet my needs. Why don't you come and meet the need then? Come and meet the need. Amen? Uh, when I first became a believer um, all those years ago, uh, the number one thing that saved me in my young walk was a small group. Because I'd gone to church every Sunday and I went, I don't know anybody here. I feel like they're a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, I don't know if they really practice what they preach. And I got into a small group and my entire existence changed because I had people that would call me out on stuff. I'd have people we could teach. We had people that loved us. Uh, we'd have groceries on our porch when Jen and I were our famous story of only having croutons and pickles to eat in the middle of the night, laughing at each other as we ate croutons and pickles for the joy of the Lord. Amen. By the way, have you ever had a crouton and pickle sandwich? Let me blow your mind. <laughs> I think there all we had was bread and butter too left, right? Yeah, I, I like bread and butter pickles. But anyway, uh, it's always the sauce, right, Dustin? Always the sauce makes a difference. Anyway, 
church. Number four, um, if you're not in a house church, you need to be in a house church. I'm just telling you. Um, And by the way, if you're looking for the perfect house church, you can come to mine. Um, But if that's busy, um, you're not going to find one because they're people, human beings. Sometimes human beings say stupid stuff. Sometimes human beings uh, miss something going on in your life. Sometimes human beings um, aren't there in a moment when you need something, you really needed someone to step through. That's the humanity part of house church. And that is the part where we got to have grace and mercy for each other. Amen? And sometimes some of the, one of the biggest things we could say to each other is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I missed that. I'm sorry I didn't, I didn't do that. Number four, everybody say church gathered. We only got 17 more of these, so don't worry. <laughs> Something happens when I'm alone with Jesus, but not everything. Something happens when two or three are gathered in his name, not everything. Something else happens when we walk life out with a smaller, intimate church family. And something happens when we're all together. Sunday mornings, even though we villainize, now, now we've gotten like villainizing Sunday morning. Church, that's all about Sunday morning. It's not church. I just said that a little bit ago, right? And so I've just hypocritically slapped myself in the face. No, Sunday morning is vitally important. Sunday morning is just not the existence of all we do. Sunday morning is a celebration of what we do. Amen? Sunday morning is when we come in off the battlefield and we get renewed and we get encouraged, we get equipped, we worship together, we love Jesus, we pray for one another, and where we get our wounds, uh, what, and we get our wounds healed. Listen, corporate worship is in the Bible. People are like, well, it's only small groups. No, that's not true either. Uh, they were both met in small groups in homes, and they also met corporately in worship, even in the beginning of the church. Acts 2.46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There was both, right? Acts 5.42, day after day in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Amen? Jesus preached to groups of 15,000 people, 10,000 people. We would nail him for having a megachurch. Amen? Mm-hmm. He's probably not making disciples. 120 people gathered in Jesus' name. That's our tribe right there, right? Um, Acts 13 uh, is full of corporate worship and prayer as you read through the the scriptures. People have gotten so out of shape. I I know a lot of house church guys over the years, and you know, a lot of house churches were planted. uh, I'm talking about separate house churches were planted on, 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 on one thing. That's angst. Angst against the machine, right? They're like rage against the machine for Christians, right? They're like rage, right? They're over here and they're, and they're like, well, I don't need no one. I don't like it. But I'm telling you, there is something beautiful on Sunday morning. Here's our goal that happens on Sunday. Sunday morning, we want to equip the saints. We want to celebrate what the Lord is doing. We want to engage the lost, right? We're not seeker sensitive, but we are Jesus explosive. We want Jesus to, to, to completely consume this room. Um, because we want someone to walk in and go, I don't know what these people are on, but I want some of that. Amen? Like, I don't know what's happening. Like, there's a spirit of a room, and there's something spiritual that happens in the room. I remember this girl, Chelsea, came to church back when we used to meet at the... Oh, uh, uh, we, met, met we met at a school for a couple years, and those were the good days. Amen? Shout out to all four of you that help load and unload the trailer every weekend. I'm still bitter. God forgive me. But this girl, this, this, this young girl came, and we only had about 50 people in the room. And she's like, I don't know what happened, but as we were singing, I heard like 500 voices behind me. 
echoing through the room. She's like, I just felt the Spirit in the presence of God. Yes. Yes. That's what we look for. Praying for the sick, worshiping together, getting vision for movement, and purposefully training people for the ages. I love, I love Sunday mornings. I love being here with you on Sunday morning. This is a part of the fulfillment of my week. Even when I don't want to be here, I love being here. Amen? Are we going to do a little honesty serum here of how many of you didn't want to come this morning? Or there's been weeks where you're like, eh, I just want to stay in bed. And then your spouse or your significant other or your, or your, your seven-year-old or somebody convicted you and, and dragged you to church and then you were glad you were here. Uh, we love Sunday mornings. Amen? Jimmy Seibert also had this quote. It says, there is something special about the whole church gathering together. It's a place of passionate worship, a place to celebrate and declare freedom, a place for believers to be equipped and encouraged, a place where we can contend and pray for one another, and a safe place for the broken and hurting to find home. By the way, if that's you coming in the midst of the church, this is a restoration house. Always has been, always will be. We want to walk and carry the heavy things with you. Do we do it perfect all the time? No. But there's no addiction there's no, um, there's no online thing. There's no thought. There's nothing that the scripture and Jesus and the Holy Spirit can't overwhelm and overcome that we don't want here. There's nothing, you, you can't, and I've lived up to this. You can't come and tell me something to shock me enough to tell me to make you leave. Nothing. We've seen all kinds of people healed. Amen. It's not the existence of a church, but it's an important one. Last but not least, everybody say finally. <laughs> Number five, witness in the world. Throw up my little map there. Throw my little thing up there. Hey, look, he gets up. Whoa! That wasn't because of my thing. It's because I missed up. Why do we do all of these things? By, by the way, why are we still on earth? Why are we still here? Why hasn't Jesus come back? Because not everybody's heard his name. Right? Matthew 24, 14. Waiting for the end. Jesus is being patient. Not as some would count as being patient. Amen? Um. Jesus said to them in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very ends of the age. Romans 10, 14, 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard uh, have never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There is a, there is a problem with um, if you only do four out of the five, you're meeting with Jesus. You're meeting on discipleship. You're doing house to house, right? You're meeting on Sunday morning, but you have no inkling and no heart for the next step. There's something wrong in the journey. Like, we're literally here for other people to know. We're, let me just say this. You're here for other people, not yourself. Yeah. We literally exist to be here so every tribe and tongue and nation and person and drug addict and sex trafficker, all of them, everyone can hear the name of Jesus. And that scripture we just read in Romans, how will they know if somebody doesn't open their mouths? Amen? 
How will they know if somebody doesn't open their mouths? Your location and your vocation are your two mission fields. We talk about missions all the time. We are goers. We want to send people to the nations. We have sent people to the nations. We're sending people to the nations. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. But if you don't do it at home, what's the point? Right? Like we've had people for years say, well, if you if you don't, if you gotta do it locally first before you well, you know, no duh, Sherlock, whatever that's supposed to say is right there. Um, guess what? Your neighbors and stuff, if you're like, well, I don't know where Jesus wants me to be, look at where your rear is right now. Where are you at home? Where do you live? Do you live in an apartment building? Do you live in a neighborhood? Is there anybody else around you? The way you mow your grass, the way you talk to your neighbors, the way you deal with people in line at the drive-thru when you felt like they've taken five minutes of your time, you can never get back. This is supposed to be fast food. I almost had the way that I put my car in park. Not that anybody here has ever done that. <laughs> oh, there's one guy in here I know that does that and make fun of him all the time. Anyway, I'm not going to point him out. What about your vocation? Can I tell you this? Your job is not the existence of your life. Your job is not who you are. Your lack of a job isn't who you are. God puts you where you were, and what if I don't like it? Well, guess what? Missions fields suck sometimes. Mission fields suck sometimes. Put that in a quote. Bah! Right? Mission fields suck sometimes. Sometimes you got to go to work with people you don't like, but Jesus has you there at that moment, at that time for a reason, and that's to be the light and the salt and light of the earth, right? If we miss this, and, and this is something that we've been working on for 16 or 17 years, you've got to be, we've got to be men and women who share the kingdom of heaven with other people on purpose. People are literally eternally dying. Amen? Don't, well, you know what I mean, Right? Let me change amen for right there. Cybert uh, also has this last Jimmy quote. I had a lot of Jimmy quotes on this today. When we're living out the other four rhythms and are anchored in Jesus and his people, we have the power to live out the mission that God has set before us. It is through the church that we are empowered to express the glory of God on the earth. The purpose of the church is missions. It's a quote. The purpose of the church is missions. And then somebody added to the quote later, and they, and they also said, and the purpose of missions is the church. Amen. We exist to be on mission and we do mission to see the church uh, put in places where it isn't. Amen. People all over the world need to have um, need to have a church. So anyway, in my little arrow, go back to my little arrow. Walking, walking, walking. Uh, as you could see, we got personal devotional life. We got life on life discipleship, house to house church, church gathered, and then witness in the world. You can read through Acts 1.18 and 2 Corinthians 5.20. That's your school, that's your family, it's your neighborhoods, workplace, healthcare, justice, government, arts and media, sports. I'm about to go have a bunch of scans and get muscle biopsy. Woohoo! Guess what my job is when I go there? Not to be a sully suck, but to be a witness for the kingdom of God as I'm sitting there going through these stupid things. Amen. By the way, does muscle biopsy sound fun? No, no, I just, I just do this to them. <laughs> and they're like, he's obviously fine. <laughs> That's what Rob Dan's muscle biopsy. <laughs> that was the stupidest thing I've said in a long time. <laughs> do it again, say it again. I could get dumber. <laughs> 
even in missions, y'all, when we go somewhere, like with our missions overseas and we're in South Dallas and, and stuff like that, like we don't want to go anywhere that isn't connected to a church. I don't believe in missions without connecting people to the local body of Christ. Amen. And they don't have to be our local body. Amen. We'd like them to be, but anyway. So here's the deal. Some people are going to get big church setting. Some people are going to come into a smaller group setting. Some people are going to choose between two or three. They're more comfortable. Some people need Jesus on the side of the road. But here's the deal. Um, if it's just me and Jesus, it's great, but it's limited. It's not your purpose. Just me and my three, it's great, but it's limited. It's not fulfilling your purpose. Just me and my house church, that's great, but it's limited. Just me and Sunday morning, I'm going to say it's great, but it's very limited. Just me and living on, there are people that go and live mission and can't stand the church and don't have anybody they're accountable to. There are missionaries out there that are fed up with church that just separate themselves from it and they go and they be missional, but they don't connect to the church. That's wrong too. And I don't care if they're giving up their lives in Africa and risking it all. They're not connected to the church. There's still something wrong. Yeah. Amen? We need all five. So this morning, my heart's desire for you and for me is to look at these five things as we go back to the main graphic and say, okay, um, how am I doing in my time with me and Jesus? Who gets to breathe and speak into my life? What am I doing about house church? Am I actually connected? And if I'm not connected, listen, if you have social anxieties and stuff like that, I get it. So do I. I'm literally medicated for it. But it's possible to break through social anxieties with time in a safe group of people. Amen? And so I love you if that's you. You're my tribe. We'll go hide under a tree somewhere together and talk about other people. Amen? Because Sunday morning, um, what, am, what am I doing on Sunday morning? And by the way, if you're just here on Sunday morning, you know what? We really need people to serve and to like be a part of the church more than just putting a butt in the seat. We like butts in the seat, amen? But it's possible that once a month, twice a month or something, you could go and serve with our kids or with our youth or with our greeters at the door or coffee bar or something just to come and be an integral part. That's what we always try to say is come serve and be served. So come serve and be served, Amen. And last but not least, how am I doing it? Living on mission. When was the last time, and this is where we are, when was the last time you invited somebody just to come to church with you? By the way, that's not missional living. It's just a part of it. It's just an easy step. Amen? You got to do all the precursors. Now, when we go in, there's a really loud guy in there. Don't get freaked out. There's this Jesus guy, but don't get freaked out by him. He's awesome. Amen? You know, you got to do all the precursors. But when was the last time you invited somebody into the house of God just to see what God's doing here? Really, that's on us. That's, 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 that's on us. So as we go into a time of worship, um, I just want to ask you to evaluate. What parts in the puzzle are missing and what parts in the puzzle are good? And if you say, let's say, I, I don't know how to spend time with Jesus, how do you learn how to spend time with Jesus? Find somebody and say, Rob, uh, say, elder, say, house church leader, house church pastor, uh, I'm going to be honest, and this is a little embarrassing, but I don't know how to spend time with Jesus. Their answer to you should not be, ha ha, schmuck. Their answer to you should be, hey, thank you for sharing. I want to I wanna help you with that. Let me help you with that, how to spend time with Jesus. And so as something walks and goes into your heart this morning, if anything has touched you this morning, if you want to come, and we'll have people that will pray for you if we can get a couple prayer team members up here just to come and pray. Um, also, as we worship, if you just need to get 
get straight between you and Jesus because your you and Jesus time has been off, then amen. Nothing I said today, I didn't know who all was coming to church this morning. I didn't preload anything or any messages, amen. I'm not trying to snap anybody in the head. I don't know of three of you that aren't going to house church that your leader told me to say something to you so they tattled on you. It's none of that stuff. It's literally just God leading us to this point this morning to say, hey, come closer, be a part of my church, be in the healthy rhythms. Let's go.